Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. We are the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day. We try to have thoughtful conversation about things that matter. Mm -hmm. Joining us today, our friend Seth Liebson. Seth was uh, my producer for a while, a radio Mm -hmm. show, as you know, Morning in America. He is uh, at present host of the Seth Liebson Show. Heard daily on KKNT 960 AM in Phoenix. Got big audience. Oh, yeah. Broader than Phoenix. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can hear him online at 960thepatriot.com. You can also subscribe to his show because it downloads as a as a uh, podcast. And so on my Google oh. podcast, I, I listen to three hours a set. Well, almost three hours every day. Uh, but first, a few things I'd like to discuss. What's the report, Claude, in terms of uh, mail, interest in the show, and anything else? Well, let's see. So uh, we did get someone who, uh, a couple folks who emailed in about the uh, interview with, well, I guess the discussion with uh, Joe Farkas and Brian Kennedy. We always get good feedback uh, from that, including the email that said, the first initial thought when they saw that we were doing another show with uh, the Kennedy Farkas, you know, roundtable. Uh, oh no, not this again! But said, but every time you guys start talking, it starts getting the the, the wheels in his head moving. So I make sure that I shared that, uh, or I will share that with our friends uh, uh, Brian Kennedy and Joe Farkas. Uh, uh, we did get an email in about uh, you know your thoughts on college football, just in general, saying they always enjoyed the show. They even bear listening to us discuss college football just to kind of get to the good stuff or the stuff they they really want to talk about. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, uh, college football, that was some What game. a weekend, what right? A Tennessee, Alabama, holy mm-hmm. Toledo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, there were other great games. I mean, Utah beating USC yep. late. Yep. Uh, yep. That was a big deal. Utah, one of the favorites from the Pac-12 coming into the season, lose two games, and then, you know, they come in and, you know, trying to salvage the season and beating USC. That was that was a great one. Oklahoma State, TCU. I thought that that was a really good game. TCU is very strong. Mm-hmm. They're unbeaten. Mm-hmm. This is the year we should have eight teams. Correct. You and I were talking about this Because you got yes. six or seven still unbeaten. Yes. Major programs. Yeah. Now, some of them will be eliminated by virtue of playing each other. Correct. Michigan, Ohio State. Right. Uh, uh, TCU mm-hmm. will... We'll, I, I don't know what will happen. They'll probably play Texas. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, Georgia ten- and Tennessee. And Tennessee, they're going to they're gonna One yeah. of those teams mm-hmm. will lose. So that's all um, That's all very interesting. Yeah. But if there's a year, like you said, even with the, with all that going on, that you can get eight teams in, with, in more with and a majority with one loss, that, who would be complaining about that? The amazing thing is you can get all this in in football season and still have a life. And we went to a wedding. Right. You went to a wedding. Yeah, last week. Justice Scalia's grandson, mm-hmm. named for him, Nino, like <laughs> Nino Scalia, because mm-hmm. that's his name, <laughs> married a Texas girl. Okay. And uh, we were invited to the wedding, and we had such a wonderful time. Nice. We were treated royally. Mm-hmm. Uh, father and mother, Jean uh, and uh, Trish, Trisha, uh, sat us at their table. Okay. And sat me next to a woman named Amy Coney Barrett. Okay. Justice of the Supreme exactly. Court. Exactly. Uh-huh. And we had a very nice chat. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told me that she had used the uh, Children's Book of Virtues. Of course. Uh, to read to her children growing up, <laughs> which was very nice. And, of course, the Book of Virtues 30th Anniversary Edition is coming out. Yes. You haven't and talked about that much. haven't. No, I, it's not out yet, so I don't, I don't want to talk about it until mm-hmm. it's out. But it was a it was a beautiful uh, occasion. We were very glad uh, to uh, to attend. Um, once again, uh, that was one of those bands, and it just made it very hard to listen to talk. <laughs> got to got to get this right, loud. everybody. Got to <laughs> say we got a band that's allowed. They're dancing. They. Mm-hmm. Old folks, the band's going to turn up the volume at 1030. Yeah. Well, you know, you can go home or go to the bar. Right. Sometimes when things get crowded, they have an overflow room. So maybe for some of these things, they need to have an overflow room for people who don't want to be there with the loud music. It's going yeah. to be loud. We're going to send you to the overflow room. Yeah. We Everybody. had an overflow room. Okay. Uh, you may remember at uh, my older son's wedding. Oh, yeah. I do remember. I don't know if you ever went to it, though. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Overflow room didn't get filled lots. People were having too much fun yeah, in the main Everybody room was room. in the main, yeah. <laughs> but you were able to talk during dinner. Yes, you were. Yeah. And then uh, and then, and, and then it got loud. It was New Year's Eve, And too. it was loud all night long. 
Probably Sierra talks about it. Probably the best, I mean, New Year's Eve party we've been to. And it would happen to be at John's wedding reception. It was great. We have a good friend who's uh, also uh, our doctor, kind of our general internist. And he's the father of four. And he and his wife were at that wedding. And I just heard this story at the wedding of my older son. What was that, three years ago? Mm-hmm. And he said his wife at 12.15, 12.30 left saying, you know, I've been here six hours with the <laughs> church and this and going home. Yeah, we got four kids, you know, we got a babysitter. But she went home and she thought about it and she came back. Check that out. Because she said this party was just too good. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Who wants to leave that? Yeah, She didn't want to miss the end of the soul train, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't want to. No, you, you don't, don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss that. <laughs> Mrs. Bennett sat with uh, Mr. Barrett. Okay. And um, Justice Scalia's uh, widow was there, uh, Maureen. And um, we, were, we were, again, very honored to, to be there. And uh, it, was a, it was a good time. I was in black tie. Of course. Now, on the way to the wedding, we hired a car. Mm-hmm. Car broke down. Wow. We had actually come from the church. Yeah. Wedding was in the church. Um, and very Catholic, and then we were heading into town to Mayflower Hotel. I love when you say that. Very Catholic. It was very Catholic. Nice. Um, and the car broke down on Route 66. Oh. We had to get out yeah. on the side with cars zipping by, mm-hmm. and it was tricky. Oh, yeah, for sure. But anyway, it was an adventure. You know, when you go out in D.C., it's an adventure. It's always an adventure. Not like New York, but, maybe you know, it's mm-hmm. an adventure. So we're recording, and this is Seth Liebson, and there's so many things to talk about. Seth, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? What are the lyrics that Nat King Cole song? How's it go again? Don't <laughs> sing it. Oh. <laughs> um, it's a great song, Orange Colored Sky. It's early here. Uh, I was walking along, minding my business, when out of an orange colored sky, flash, bam, alakazam, wonderful, you came by. Well, how early is it there? <laughs> early enough, that was a great backup band, too. He had Shelly Mann on drums, Maynard Ferguson on trumpet. My God, it was a who's, who wasn't on that album? It's 9 a.m. where you are, right? So don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we got up early. This, we did our run. We took Dagny on a walk. You, We're all good. you use this all the time. <laughs> well, it's much earlier out here. People just say, oh, gosh, yeah, it's 6 a.m. or something. <laughs> But it's yeah, not. but we're not going to reduce our friendship to talking about the weather and the time changes, Nine are we? o'clock. Well, no. news and weather, I mean, that's weather and time <laughs> We'd and be weather. out of business. It's <laughs> okay. a business plan. Mm-hmm. Maynard Ferguson, <laughs> okay. by the way, that's your guy, right? That's my guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What about, Joe, what about Joe Morello? Yeah, I don't know Joe. Who's Joe? Brubeck. Oh, he played in the Dave Brubeck band? Yeah. Wow. Oh, great. Look at you guys just pulling names. Sax, I guess that's not your Whoa. instrument. All right. Um, okay. Listen, I get tired of liberals. Plato and the Cavemen. Yeah. <laughs> um, Plato and the Guardians. Anyway, <laughs> I uh, I get tired of liberals. I know, but your cover band was Plato and the Cavemen. They okay. covered the songs. I like Plato and the Guardians. <laughs> do we? Do we really? Sub, subject the audience to this. Go we'll get here. dozens of emails about how. So I'm get- getting this from John Hinderocker. Well, Bill, I, you know, over in Minnesota. Right. Yeah, and we what love we John, have but we're is, not uh, here in cold Minnesota. winter, but you know, we got a good fare with some hot dogs, and uh, we can talk about non-mutual collateral estoppel if you want. Well, but he doesn't use the time thing as an excuse for you know mixing up his words. Okay, fine, fine, go. fine. Call John right. Hinderocker. No, don't hang up yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Give me another chance. You know he's my guest host, right? He is my guest host. Is he? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, I get tired of liberals telling me, well, you know, it's not the 50s anymore, Bill. It's not the 60s. It's not even the 70s or 80s or 90s. I know, I know, I know. And you know something? I know. I know that. And I really know that now. Um, up to date, and then I'll make this question. I see the polls talk about a possible red wave in the House, right? Maybe a red wave. Maybe 45 seats go Republican that weren't before. And then you get get a a reputable um, polling outfit like 538 also predicts the possibility of Democrats holding the House. Yeah. So how, how can you hold those two possibilities up at the same time? 
I mean, how, divi- how divided are we? What kind of country are we as we approach this election? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I don't know. What is going uh, yeah, on? It's I, all very confusing, and it is not my 50s or 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. No, I, I kind of wish it were, and I think it's an election about whether those verities still matter or not. Remember the movie The Avengers? And yeah. uh, Captain America is putting on his old uniform, and he says, I don't know, it's a little old-fashioned. Spot says, you know, what we're about to go through and what's happening now, we could all use a little old-fashioned. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at this teacher at school near you, the River School. You know the River School. Yeah. To get more progressive than that. And it's a note to the to the student community about how excited we should be about uh, about the pregnancy of Mr. Powell and how Mr. Powell is talking to the kids at the River School about his pregnancy. Mr. Powell, uh, Mr. Powell is a teacher at the River School, and, and and all all school note went out that Mr. Powell is telling people I am transgender, which means when I was born, my grown ups made a guess that I was a girl. They made a guess because there was no other indication, right? They made a guess that I was a girl, but when I grew up, I told everyone that I'm actually a boy. Okay, that's what he writes, and we all take, or we're all supposed to take this seriously and not snicker or make fun or make jokes, and you ask me what kind of country we're in. You ask me where this country is, and uh, I don't uh, know. Come back to Mr. Powell. Why are you telling <laughs> I thought you, you might have a few skid chains on that. Okay, go ahead. Why are you telling me about something that happened two miles from my house when you're like 5,000 miles away? Because this is emblematic, and if it's happening in our nation's capital at one of the most elite schools in the country, and no one in the city that's supposed to be making laws for the rest of the country and setting the tone for power in this world isn't laughing at this and mocking it, but rather taking it seriously in a mark of our new advanced age, I do think our country's in trouble. All right, I just want to track this so I have the story right. Mr. Powell is pregnant, but Mr. Powell's a girl. Right. Well, his parents made yeah, a guess yeah, 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 that he was yeah. a girl. Biologically, he's a girl. Okay. Well, is that right? He was born a girl? According to his parents, best guess. Don't, yes. give, me, don't give me that <laughs> stuff. I'm just telling you what he would tell you. Yes, I think he was born a girl. I think he was born with female parts, which would explain why he is pregnant. Yes, yeah. that's what I Not that. But my a... belief is different than his belief, no. and we just have two different beliefs. Well, but, but he's wrong. And they're wrong. And in the 1950s and 1960s that people say we don't live in anymore, that wouldn't have been controversial. Mm-hmm. And today, you would get fired if you were a teacher at that school and you said that. Said what I just said. Well, I just heard Bill Bennett say that's just crazy. You, you, and you'd you, be fired. We call you Mr. Powell out of respect for your, you know, your freedom to, you know, change your gender and your pronouns. That's okay. But. You can't change, you know, what you are, what you were born. You were born a girl, and therefore you were able to get pregnant. If you were born a boy, you would not be able to. Do we have any cases of a actual boy, boy, biological boy getting pregnant? You're uh, you're arguing with the um, probably second oldest faith in the world, as Whitaker Chambers called it, which is the notion that we shall be as gods, we humans shall be as gods. Yeah. And this is a you know a high level way of, or at least perhaps a, a a very elevated way of kind of thinking about how to answer your question. Because I'm looking at this race in Pennsylvania. I cannot get it out of my head. Fetterman Oz Senate race. Pennsylvania, the state that gave us Rick Santorum not that long ago, yeah. is poised to elect someone who can't finish a sentence, string a sentence, or understand a question to the United States Senate against a physician who's as articulate as you or me on a good day. Uh, and um, this is a this is a position where we vote on war, we vote on foreign aid, we vote on laws for the rest of the country, and everyone seems to be thinking it's okay. We're going to put this man there, and he's winning in the polls. I don't I, I I don't know if I recognize this country anymore. I certainly don't think it's fair to call it center right anymore when you see polling like that or the polling you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, now you and I have we, had we live in a we live in a world of the river school, you know. Well, no, we don't. I mean, we live in a world where where the river school exists and that line of thinking exists. But put that to the American people, first of all, in a, an anonymous ballot, you know, blind ballot, and it'll come out seventy five, eighty percent my way. Will will it not? 
I don't know. Isn't that what's on this ballot in this election year? We have a party that supports all that stuff out of the river school. All of it. We have a party that supports giving billions of billions of billions of dollars to the leading terrorist state in the world. We have a party that believes we should be energy dependent on places like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia when we don't have to be. We have a party that believes five-year-olds should be racialized and be ashamed of their skin color if they're white and that they can, in fact, change their sex and they will do their best to conceal that information from their parents. We have a party that believes that abortion should be available and legal all the way up to including and indeed past birth. This is a party that believes all that and we're not sure if the country's going to support it or not. Does, do, do the American people know all that, or, or do they just reflex a lot? I think a lot of people reflexively just vote Democrat. They just vote Democrat, you know. Uh, I had a I had a relative uh, in North Carolina when you know the state was pure Democrat. He said, "I said, how are you going to vote, uh, Herbert?" And he said, "Vote Democrat or go fishing." You know, reflexive. A B people who. Uh, you know, been persuaded by some ad uh, that presents itself and the Democrat candidate as very different. Can I cite that as some evidence against your thesis that, you know, so the, I think the, the problem, well, yeah, well, the, let me, let me, let me finish. Yeah, let me ahead, finish that, that, that the, the, the ads that the Democrats are running are, you know, pro police and pro common sense and blah, 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 blah. Third, there's this, uh, what was the line? Brooding omnipresence. Wasn't that it that Holmes talked about? Phrase. Yeah. And that's Donald yeah. Trump. People have said, well, you can't vote for Trump. And you can't vote for Trump's party. And this still, it still looms very large in many people's minds. Not that I'm saying that's altogether rational either. But uh, it's different. Saying I could never support a party that, you know, really supports Trump is different from. I think Mr. Powell's really pregnant. Your uh, friend, the fisherman, pretty common sense, pretty moral guy, pretty decent guy overall. The one who's voting Democrat and going fishing. Yeah. So I think the most powerful argument you have on this, as far as I'm concerned, that, that makes me feel a little better about our country, is the second point you made, which is when you watch the Democratic Party ads. They lie about the record in a conservative direction. We're pro-police. We're pro-helping the border. We challenge Biden when he's wrong. They're lying in the direction of conservatism. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that, that's the strongest argument that we're still okay. My concern is that your friend who votes Democrat and goes fishing or votes Democrat or goes fishing, my concern is that that's a lot of damn people who feel that way. Most of them are not political. Most of them don't watch Fox News or listen to your podcast or Dennis Prager, let's say. And the view they have of the Democratic Party is the default view, just as it is the default view that Donald Trump is a racist, white supremacist. And that's what I think 30 to 40 years of education and media domination by the left has left us with. A default position that Republican equals racist, and that Democrat equals moderacy. That's my concern. Yeah. I'm not worried about leftists who are like Rashida Tlaib and Ilan Omar. I'm worried about the 35 to 55-year-old mom who's apolitical and doing pretty well or does work or doesn't work and comes in and says, how can you support an anti-Semite uh, in Donald Trump? Because that's what's in the air. That's what little news she gets gives her that. I agree that's with you. I agree with you. Um um, and, and I think it's hit a critical mass. I, well, that's, I think, I, and that's what I think explains Fetterman. I think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do it this way. I, you know, I'm, I was pushing you. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but yeah. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. I, this is right. interesting conversation. I have no answers to it. My, 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 my worry is real. Uh, the way I do it is this way. Uh, Democratic Party's gone way left, and you just did it, did it beautifully, describing its you know view and its position on various things. The media has been just a total ally in the pocket of the Democrats. The main media, it's just striking. You know, I, I watch Fox News Channel, but then you know, in commercials or breaks, I flip around to 
MSNBC, CNN, and then NBC, CBS, they're virtually indistinguishable. They're left. Clearly. Yeah, I think they're, I, I watch it all too. And I got to tell you, I think some days, maybe more days than not, CBS is worse than CNN and MSNBC. Yeah. And it does so with the gloss of more respectability. Yeah. Or, so the Democrats are corrupt, the media is corrupt. Madison says the main protection for the American people. You know, it's not the separation of powers. It's not, uh, uh, you know, the laws. It's not the court. It's not the legislature. It's not the Constitution. It's a sense of virtue and right and wrong in the American people. Well, that's the bulwark of uh, to protect us against uh, going down the tubes. I don't know if that's there. That's all. That's all. I've, I'm finished. Go ahead. That's how I think of it. Well, I mean, 25 years ago, you wrote a book called The Death of Outrage, and it's only gotten worse. I mean, you, you yeah. pointed it out then. Yeah. Um, and look, all I was about to say, I think, was, you know, there are days where I think CBS is worse than CNN and MSNBC, and it comes with a little more credibility. I mean, I have a gloss lot of, of respectability. As yeah, said, gloss yeah. of respectability. Yeah, that's a better phrase. And and I have a lot of fun pointing it out to the audience. It's easy for one thing, but it's important for another because I don't think people see how the propaganda works. Five years ago, could you and it moves fast five years ago? I mean, could you imagine a Supreme Court justice refusing to answer what is a woman? Five years ago, could you imagine a president of the United States probably unable to name that Supreme Court justice that he just put on the court? I mean, this is a world we're living in. What did Borston write in the image, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's a very strange world when you just step back and look how quickly things have moved in the last few years and what people find acceptable and tolerable. I think that question put to Justice Jackson yeah, was put by Senator Hawley. I think it was originally by Marsha Blackburn. Okay. Question itself is odd, isn't it? I mean, yes. Exactly. Can, you, can, you, can you tell me what a woman is? What you mean? You don't know? I mean, well, I, well, I that, think the question the, was odd because, well, I think it was odd, but becoming increasingly necessary yeah. because we are going to enter a jurisprudence of the 14th Amendment having to do with transgender rights in bathrooms and sports teams and all kinds of I, it, it is the next wave of the law i think and i so so she 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 had to ask that question what kind of a justice are we looking at here someone who actually believes that men are men and belong in men's bathrooms and on men's teams or that men can be women and can go into any bathroom they want at any time and join any athletic association they want the law has brought us that way how did this happen that we come to I, this impasse that uh not impasse, that we come to this juncture, this point in our history where the Democrat Party, uh, you know, I was I was just watching uh, Fox and Tom Cotton was on and they, uh, Senator Cotton from Arkansas, whom I deeply admire and respect, imagine you do the same. And they showed a clip of Senator Hassan, Maggie Hassan from New Hampshire. And she was asked directly by a reporter, do you agree with the president about... Um, you know, energy and what we're doing and how we're getting our energy. And she said, well, there are a lot of things we can be doing. We should be doing that we're not doing. Cotton was asked to respond to that. And he said, well, you know, it seems there she disagrees with the president. But why couldn't she or anybody else, Senator Durbin or Senator Menendez or Senator Kelly, put their foot down and say, no, no, we got to, you know, this is crazy. We got we got a drill here. We got a frack, and we got a drill. Not a single Democrat. Not a single one. Now think about that. This is not about gender selection. This is about oil, and you neglect the oil in your own ground, which so is to go to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, hat in hand. Right, which is good oil right. in America, much right. better than the dirty oil of Venezuela. Cleaner, right? Yeah, cleaner, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's just it's just really it's it's really nuts. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. in love with the Saudis, and I know they're a tough and cruel bunch. And, uh, you know, there were Saudis involved in 9-11, right, in a primary and principal way. I think, and I think I'm pretty sure in our book, The Fight of Our Lives, in our book, The Fight of Our Lives, we call Saudi Arabia a gutter country. I stand by that. And I think, it's, I, I, I think it is awful and disgusting that we, we didn't need them. 
Joe Biden made us need them. And now Joe Biden, we learn, is pressuring them to make their decisions favorable to the Democratic Party's reelection chances. And no one gives two hoots. I'd agree. This is two months before an election. A year before the presidential election, when Joe Biden wasn't even the nominee, Donald Trump asks Zelensky in Ukraine to look into some kind of corruption that only Zelensky would have access to know about because it took place in Ukraine. And Donald Trump gets impeached for that phone call. This is the world we live in, and it's incredible. Tom Cotton's right on almost every decision. You ask yourself, yeah, how can, how can they believe? How can sane people believe the kinds of stuff they're voting for and doing? And, um, and I, I, I think this progressive Marxism is, is a cult. I don't think it I don't think they think through these things. I think they just do what they think they have to do. Like the green grocer described by Vaclav Havel in his 1978 essay, The Power of the Powerlessness, who has to hang in his window, workers of the world unite, because that's just what you do, whether you agree or not. That's just what you do to survive. That's, and that's what Havel calls the lie, right? Living the lie. Exactly. Exactly. You have to. Exactly. Right. Yes. You had that other great quote from that essay that you talked. Yeah, that's but, exactly right. A great but, lie. But that but that the, at the, least. The truth is the greatest objection to the lie, uh, uh, opposition to the lie, which is why it must be suppressed so severely. That's yeah. the quote you talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, right. I don't think I taught you that, but um, nevertheless, that. You pulled it out of that essay and explained it. Okay. Me. All right. I did. I'll take full credit. Um, but knowing it's a lie is better than not knowing it's a lie. Right. So this Senator from New Hampshire and probably most of the senior staff at the white house knows it's a lie. My 40 year old suburban, nice, kind mother doesn't. And she thinks, Oh yeah, this is what we believe. This is great. Her eight, eight, eight grades, eight grader comes home from private, probably parochial school, probably Catholic, and they have a whole uh, note to the parents that we're going to now be discussing and teaching a section on, you know, gender studies and gender affirmation in line with the XYZ Association. And the mother looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, I've heard about this. Good. That's what I worry about. That's the problem. Yeah. I think, I, th- I think the White House staff knows what they're doing. I don't think that 40-year-old mom has a clue. That's how they win. I mean, there are people who think that we're on the verge, a few people, not not a lot, that we're on the verge of another great awakening. Yeah, right. You, You don't think so, do you? I don't know. I mean, we do. You're right. You're absolutely right that we go through these ebbs and flows. New York City was Gotham. Then we got Giuliani and and James Q. Wilson and Bratton, and, and we fixed it. And then we turned it into Gotham again. So you're right. We do go through these ebbs and flows. But it seems that the forces of decomposition that you like to talk about are so much stronger now. I mean, they've taken like an invasion of the body snatchers, not just not just um, the places we expected, which was media and uh, entertainment. They've taken, obviously, the schools. They've taken the NFL. They've taken the Basketball Association. They've taken Major League Baseball. And frickin' taken the Pentagon, you know? Soft America has invaded hard America. Yeah. When you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff saying he reads Marx and Lenin to better understand the American people, you figure Harvard's beaten DOD, not the other way around. By the way, no one reads Lenin. Another example of him saying what he thought he had to say. Scary enough. Scary enough for a general. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we can keep doing it. This election will kind of mean something. Yeah, it'll tell us us something, won't it? Tell us something, won't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a real measuring stick. It's a real, uh, yeah, it's a real dipstick in the oil of, of our chassis. So if it comes out, let's say Republicans take uh, a 20 seat majority in the House and they get the Senate 51 or 52 to, you know, 49 or 48, what will that tell you? Republicans winning the Senate? Yeah. 52, 48? Yeah. 
You know what I kind of think it might say if that happens? What? I kind of think it might say, okay, Republicans, show us what you can do, but are you going to do Trump? That's what I think that might say. Oh, you mean to the American people? Yeah. They'll, I think they'll say, okay, you say. won uh, because we're really unhappy with what's going yeah, on. Yeah, we can't take this, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, are you going to, are you going to go Trump or are you going to go DeSantis? You know, um, that's what it might say. Of course, you know, I say that as if there's this national meaning to all of this. And, you know, the reason someone might vote for John Fetterman in Pennsylvania is not the same reason someone might vote for Mark Kelly in Arizona. So, you know, these races do have their local effects that end up with a national temperature. But I don't know that they're based on the same things. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm very confused. Let's localize the discussion for a couple of minutes and talk about. Uh, near in Arizona. Let's talk Am about I making it. any sense, by yeah. the way? I just don't know. I'm tanked up on coffee coming back from a run. I don't know. Well, that's because it's late in the day. Yeah, here it is anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's later here than it is there. Yeah. Uh, you're catching up to us. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about that border. Now, I have three, two or three questions about it. One, uh, is, uh, there's different polls. But there's a substantial number of people, I don't know, it's 25, 20% or 40% who think our border immigration policy is fine. Now, how can anybody actually believe that? I forget who the reporter was from Fox News. Maybe you guys remember, but in any event, there was that reporter who got some drone video of the crossings of the border about four months ago. Yeah. And it was a flood of um, illegals crossing. And uh, DHS tried to get that drone out of the sky. Other media uh, outlets would not play off that feed. They didn't want to see it. If you go to the border now, Yuma sector, where I've been a few times, uh, you will see, um, it's really interesting. How can I describe this? Um, you're, you're in the United States. There's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of water and then not a stone's throw, but probably a good Claude Jennings golf swing would get you to the hill on the other side in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see it. I mean, it's just, it's there. It's not, a, it's, you know, a quarter of a mile. And they have all these cameras on the U.S. side, you know, closed circuit TV cameras to quote unquote monitor the border. DHS turned them off, turned them off. 80% of them are not taping or not recording. They don't want us to know. This is why Kamala Harris and Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden won't go to the border. Because it'll bring a media pool with them. They don't want us to know. And so we get into the debate about do you blame the American people or not for not knowing what the media, you know, doesn't want them to know or wants them to know. You know, how many Americans are going to do their homework? The director of Homeland Security says the border is secure. The vice president says the border is secure. The president says the border is secure. What do you want from my life? Yeah. That's my 40-year-old mom. No, but this is a little reassuring to me. It's not that people know what's going on and say it's fine. They don't know what's going on. Right. What worries me, though, is the White House and obviously every Democrat in the House and Senate that does know what's going on. Yeah, sure, sure. Right, right. (laughs) And is doing whatever they can to, what, cover it up, I guess. Gets to that point, too, of yours from earlier that I like so much, which is why are Democrats running ads that lie in the direction of conservatism? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. And we'll see. Uh, and we'll see. Right. Exactly. This is why I don't know. I don't know. What, what is, uh, maybe a small point, maybe a larger point. Is this a wedge? Uh, now Venezuelans will be returned or at least, uh, two, up to 200 of them anyway. I just don't know. You know, and with Venezuela, uh, why do you, why would you send them back to Venezuela? First of all, that that they can make a case they're in a tar- horrible, repressive, you know, totalitarian regime. Second, I thought you were kissing up to Venezuela, you know, for their oil. What? Maybe it. Maybe they it's don't your want point them back. Too. Yeah, maybe it's your point too. We will give you a little lie in the direction of conservatism, but just a little because who can be against? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. It's a good question. You're making a really good point. I don't know the answer. to that's a really great point. Well, we were either going to have you or Mark Krikorian today, and we decided to go with you. But on this one, maybe I you still well. Don't I, hang I, up, I, you know. no, I'm just I'm just thinking. Guess who my big guest was yesterday? Mark Krikorian. 
Exactly. Did you ask him? <laughs> exactly. Step ahead. You're a step it's ahead. Too weird. It's just too weird. It's just too weird. This is the other thing. Thirty years ago, you know, I, I was teaching him, and he's quoting me, and he's quoting me now. Now he's yeah. running ahead of me. <laughs> Ungrateful student. <laughs> Ungrateful I student. I know. So I got Mark Recorian and you got me. <laughs> Derivatives. You got, Did you, you ask him? The, you got the lousy cuts. I know. Did you ask him about the Venezuelans? <laughs> No, I didn't think to, and I and I'm kind of wishing I did. All right, Good did point. you ask him about the DOD <laughs> Trash Group? No, is that another cover band? What's the DOD? You trash don't know group? what that is? No, I don't. Know. Executive order. I went to the Defense Department. Defense Department sent it down. Anybody who wants to go to the border will pay your way and pay your normal salary, whatever, down there on cleanup duty to clean up after the illegals. Okay. Let me be real serious. Yeah, about please, this. please. I've been to the border a few times. I know exactly what they're talking about with the trash and the waste that is in the desert. Human trash, human waste as well? Uh, clothes, uh, medicine bottles, candy wrappers, uh, beer bottles, whiskey bottles, uh, prescription, plan B, uh, all this stuff. Well, that's all stuff I'd cut, pick up with gloves, but is it also outhouse stuff? Not as much. Okay. Not as much. Okay. I mean, keep in mind there's a river right there. Um, okay. Yeah, it's not San Francisco. Right. right. No, okay. a, there, there's All a warm right. river. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, okay, so DOD wants to focus on that or make a thing about that, uh, I guess, as an environmental degradation issue. Um, not a human problem, not a human degradation issue, but an environmental degradation issue. Uh, four miles from where I live, is an area we call the zone. Um, it's Ninth Avenue in Jefferson for anyone that knows Phoenix in your audience. And it's about 800 people living in uh, tents at best, uh, all drugged out, all screaming at other things that don't exist, beating each other up. Uh, I went there one day to see how bad it really was. And uh, I saw a fire coming from a, um, from a corner. And I was driving slowly to see what that fire was. And a cop asks me for a ride. A cop pulls up to me. I thought he was going to tell me to turn around. He says, can you drive me towards that? And I said, sure. And we go there and it's a a grocery cart on fire. And I said, what's that about? And he said, uh, that man's being punished. His earthly possessions are being lit aflame for some kind of punishment. He didn't pay for something. He didn't pay either his rent to be there or he didn't pay for a prostitute or he didn't pay for a drug or he didn't pay some money he owed. And I said, does that happen often? He said, "Mm, three, four times a day. We have places in central Phoenix that look like bombed out Darfur that are 1,000 times worse than what our border looks like. Wow. That's my point I'm trying to make, and it's long-winded, and I'm sorry about that. But that's what Oakland and San Francisco and and uh, Venice Beach and really very nice places 10 years ago now look like. They look like Darfur after a bombing. But and is the that... DOD wants us to focus on the border and cleaning up the border. Look, the border's a huge issue. It's easy to clean up. You stop the immigration, and you stop the, uh, and you stop the degradation of the environment. Why can't we focus on these creations of many, many Darfurs four miles from, you know, leafy green, nice areas? I understood what you were saying, but are, are you saying this encampment is made up of illegals? Not a, not a one of them is illegal. Oh, okay. And it's a different. Point. Not a one. Of, I, I, I'm, oh. yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Okay. You know, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, no, I'm no, pretty no. sure not one of them. These are homegrown, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. All right. Let me ask uh, you this. All of them under 45. Yeah. You know. But this and, isn't an immigration uh, issue. No. I'm just interested in the point that we're worried about trash on a border where no one lives. I understand. And Versus meanwhile, there's trash of our people where we where shouldn't we have to. Yeah. yeah. The, uh. Yeah. Degradation. Yeah. The most. The focus beautiful. is off. Yeah. Human degradation versus uh, environmental. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, too, the environmental and human degradation of the most beautiful city in America used to be San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the first time we went. We had such a lovely time. 
And then the second time you took me there, it was really different. Remember? Yeah. I think, you know, we were doing early morning radio and stuff. So we, we always did the early morning McDonald's coffee run or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. And I remember we you to, and I went to that We diner. couldn't get into the McDonald's, remember? Remember why we couldn't get in? Because no. of the men sleeping right in front of the entrance. Right. They were blocking it. Didn't right? we yeah. go to the diner down there at the bottom of the hill? Yeah, that might have been on the good trip. You know, yeah. we did. We went. I, I remember a few times with you, but I remember the first one I loved and the second one it was like, what the hell happened here? Yeah. yeah. All yeah. within like okay. a few years. Yeah. Last question about the border. Uh, Greg Gutfeld, who's uh, you know a Fox News personality, and I guess leading leading late night uh, television watching, beating the uh, CBS and NBC. Is that right? I think it is. That, that's what I've heard. Yeah, I've heard he's he's kicking their butts. Yeah, which is maybe you know a good sign to our larger discussion earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe right. He says now. There's some exaggeration, some hyperbole here. He says, okay, I, 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 I get the border and I get that, you know, it's terrible and people shouldn't be streaming in and you got to have sovereignty. He said, but these people, he said, I'll take these people over the elitists in New York and, um, you know, in, in San Francisco and L.A. And these people being the illegals. Yeah, I'll take uh-huh. them over that and I'll take them over these homeless people, these homegrown. I'm trying to connect the two points. Yeah, because most of these people coming over, whatever their legal status, they're they're ready to come, and most of them are ready to work. Mm-hmm. That, do you think that's right? Most of them are good of heart and want to work. Most of them, we know it, they're it, criminals, it, and it, it's know. possible. I mean, it's possible most of them do. It's possible. We don't know. Um, you know, one of the things I was talking to with the great Mark Krikorian. You ever have him on your show? You should have yeah, Mark Krikorian. Yeah, some, sometime I will. I'll play it. Can what, you give what, me a what? reference? <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll just take the audio from Seth's show and then we'll play it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you want to repurpose from... my interview with Mark for your show, <laughs> yeah, you're on like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We'll talk about the rights to it if you want to. Um, we were talking well, this about This is like loose, you know, Nick Saban, you know, getting beaten by one of his coaches. I was going to raise the Nick Saban example. Yeah, that was top of mind. I, um, I, I, uh, I, I was talking to Krikorian about illegals and crime. And, you know, it's still true what he said to us 20 years ago, Bill. And he was telling us 20 years ago we couldn't imagine. You know, a lot of the, in fact, almost all of the states and municipalities, when they, they don't keep records, or if they do, they don't publish the records of arrestees and incarcerates who are illegal. Uh, we do in Arizona, um, at least incarcerates, and we have a monthly prison report. Okay. And it tells us if who's in prison is a citizen or not a citizen. Okay. And there's no question that, obviously, the majority of incarcerates are, are citizens. But geez, Lou frickin' ease. I mean, there are 350 murderers in our prisons who are illegal. There are 600 sex abusers. There are 400 child sex abusers, all illegal. I don't know that it's the majority, but it's a lot. It's a well, lot. that's only 1,000, Seth, and we get 2 million a year. It's a lot. I know. It's a yeah, thousand it's a lot. we I don't agree. have to have. It's a oh, thousand I agree. we don't have No, to there's, have. there's no reason to have them. Could we go back? I assume you asked Krikori in this. I, 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 you, you had to have asked. Yeah. I, I hope you heard. Me. I can't I wait until he... we have Mark on the show Friday. And we're going to say, "Did yeah, well, I... he's going to never interview with Bill or me again?" You do understand that, right? Well, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to lose Corey. I think I'm going to lose Seth because I'm trying to find out if you asked him any salient questions at all. <laughs> Did you ask him? <laughs> People are going to say. Did you ask him? And hey, Alf, Alfie, let's turn work. it off and just listen to it next week. When <laughs> um, did you ask him, or do you know, because you could think this through on your own, you don't need him, could we go back to remain in Mexico? Could we do it? If you had the president behind it, could you get it? That is, uh, do you need to twist the arm of the president of Mexico? Do you need to say whether you like it or not, you're taking him back? What? Oh yeah, I don't. I, I don't think you need to twist the arm of the president of Mexico any more than you need to twist the arm of the mayor of uh, Martha's Vineyard. Okay, you send them there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, these are not my people. These are your people. Well, they're not. I mean, they're from a lot of places. So a lot of them are from his. Yeah, from his yeah, country. but 
But remember, the law was that they had to stay in the country, right? They had to stay yeah. in the country, right? That is that, that the, is first most, country, uh, the first yeah, country, yeah, first country they entered. They that. Right, 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 right. Avoid their amnesty claim. Right. So that's the law. Okay. And if that's Mexico, they don't have a choice. Okay. So Mexico, we can force Mexico to get serious about their border. All right. Let's be very specific for people who are wondering what the hell we're doing here. You got a, a Senate race. You mentioned Mark Kelly. Blake Masters is is the Republican. Very smart guy, right? Yeah, I think incandescently so. Yeah, yeah I think very smart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he can win. Yeah, yeah, I think he can win. Uh, I I I think that Mark Kelly has played his race and his tenure very smartly. Uh, he doesn't do much interviews. He doesn't show up anywhere very much, and he portrays himself as a moderate, and he's done that very well, and painting the Republican Party is very extreme, uh, and doing those ads that you were talking about. Hey, I stood up for the border, and when I disagreed with Joe Biden, I told him so, and I helped bring funding to these police institutions, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he, he's played it very well, so it's tough. And Masters giving the lie to that by saying... You... Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's trying, but, we, you know, we, we are a one-newspaper town. Yeah. State. We are a one-newspaper state. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're very liberal, as liberal as uh, the Boston Globe, if not more so. Um, or the Yeah, more liberal than the Washington Post, for sure. Really? And, um, oh, yes, no question. And, you know, Arizona's not Arizona. Mark Kelly sits in the seat that Barry Goldwater occupied. Um, Arizona has more delegates to the House of Representatives that are Democrats than Republicans. It's just not the state that you and I knew 10 years ago. But, uh, okay, so Masters might, but the odds are Kelly gets elected. I think it's close as hell. Very close. It's close as hell. But your governor's race seems to be getting clearer, is is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, I think so. and the uh, the Trump uh, handpicked candidate Carrie Lake, not only correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be winning, but I think it was it you who told me she's got a real future if she is. Yeah, um, yeah, she could go yeah. into national office uh, on the strength yeah. of her presence, her yeah, her, yeah. her skill, I, I, yeah. her yeah. TV ability. Yeah, I think she's much better. Yeah, she's much better than I gave her credit for early on. Much better. Um, and, uh, she, uh, she's very good at the same time. Her democratic opponent is very bad. Uh, can't, can't also put us, I, I would say her democratic opponent, Katie Hobbs lies somewhere between Joe Biden and John Fetterman and her ability to complete a sentence and articulate yeah. something that represents yeah, common I've, sense. It's really bad. I've, really bad. I've seen a couple of clips of that. It's all, she's really bad. Refusing to debate, refusing to sit for interviews with anything that isn't the Arizona Republic. Um, no, and Carrie is very good. Uh, it's just very, very different than uh, the Pennsylvania race, if that's kind of a gauge. It's just very different. And and I think Carrie Lake wins, and I think probably wins by four or so points, well, and what, everything else is up for grabs. What is Obviously, she talks about immigration. What is her plan? Carrie Lake? Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it's a it's a it's a pretty strong plan that will probably get a lawsuit from the Biden Department of Justice. Uh, Arizona has been through that before. Remember, we did that SB 1070 stuff uh, around uh, when was that? 2010, 2011. Um, so Arizona will probably get sued with her plan, which is, you know, to declare to declare the border an emergency and an invasion. And um and, and take the take the steps to uh, do what the federal government won't, which was would be to take it into Arizona hands rather than the federal government's hands. So um, it's strong, and it's either going to be efficacious or tied up in court. Yeah, I see. You know, um, Abbott. Uh, I, I saw Abbott, Governor Abbott, was uh, saluted by somebody. I guess it was Senator Cotton again, who said, "I see uh, Governor Abbott's leading the charge for declaring the cartels foreign terrorist organizations." Uh, well, good for him. And now that seems to be a chorus, at least a small chorus, of governors joining him because we're losing 300 people a day to opioids, and what two thirds of them, Seth, are probably fentanyl. 
Uh, yeah, probably uh, probably ninety percent of the opioid uh, poisonings are fentanyl, and probably eighty-five to eighty-eight percent of the drug overdose uh, or drug poisoning deaths are, are are opioids. Yeah, something like that. This is pretty bad. I mean, I, I'm watching TV and I'm seeing footage of cartels fighting it out with each other on the border. Yeah, for what control of territory? I, I'm sure. Yeah, supply chain. Yeah, control of the territory and the supply chain, sure. Right. Of course. Right. I mean, this is madness yeah. that, that this is going on. You know, madness. Yeah. What I wish is that we had uh, Joe Biden from 1988, 1989 in the White House right now. He wouldn't have put up with it. He would have, he would have, he would have worked with Mexico to bomb the hell out of those cartels. Yeah. Uh, the little, dirty little secret about the fights against drugs and this country in the late eighties and early nineties is while you were, you know, you were the tip of the spear and the face and the voice and the intellect behind it all. He was always saying things like, and it's in the records and it's in old papers. If people want to do the research, he was always saying you weren't for as mean and evil as you were, you weren't being tough enough. I know it's tough. And, yeah, I know it wasn't yeah. tough enough. Yeah. Joe Biden was yeah. saying that to me. Yeah. yeah, that was, but so, that was so a I kind long of time ago. That show probably, yeah, it was a long time ago. I 34 know. years ago? 35 yeah, but, years ago. Yeah, but you want the coda to that story? The coda to that story is we won and we did it. We re- reduced drug use in this country by over 60%. Yeah, pretty dramatic. Pretty yeah, dramatic. It worked. That's in, it worked. That's in our book. Uh, Going We've to pot. So, many. so it's in Going to Pot, and it's also in people I know went to Washington to work in conservative causes because they read a book of yours, and that book was? The Devaluing of America. There you go. The Devaluing. Do you know how many people I've run into? Probably probably eight serious people, serious people, state legislators and things who said, yeah, that's the book I read that made me go to Washington and oh, work for conservative causes. Not kidding. Not kidding. Okay. Yeah. Send them to me or... Um, send me a note or whatever. What will you have them do? Bookmark recording? <laughs> I, ju- I will, uh, I will um, have them write, hey, uh, write you, it out uh, and sprinkle leave it your office my... and state legislature and come up here and help me get this guy Mark Recorian on my show? <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> Beating this to death now. I used to have a guy who could do that, but, you know, he's... <laughs> Yeah. He's just keeping them to himself now. He's moved on. Mm-hmm. He's moved it's on. Just, yeah, it's just, yeah, giving it to his 50 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, when I think about all this and I think about what um, people are going to ask me to do, I think about everything we've talked about for the last 50 minutes. And tell me what we do in the schools. <laughs> if there's one huge optimistic point I can draw from the last few years. It's a fabulous set of women in Scottsdale, Arizona. Fabulous set who uh, have never been engaged politically ever and have woken up like, my God, Lazarus or something. And they have created all kinds of training sessions. It's called Arizona Women of Action training sections for moms to run for school board. You know, 20 years ago, whatever, you, people would say, what do I do? What do I do? And you'd say, well, run for school board. And no one thought that was sexy or interesting, and they all thought it was boring and irrelevant. Well, right. I guess it took 20 years, and they're doing it now, and they're making it important. And I think they're going to sweep here in certain places that Boy, need sweeping. I didn't know yeah. about that. Send me some more yeah. info on that. Totally cool. When you started, I thought you were going to talk about some of the great schools, like Great Heart. Is it Great Hearts Academy? Great Hearts is doing a great job. Uh, of, yeah, I have nothing but good to say about And those great are real Hearts. schools. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the waiting lists are huge, and, you know, I probably couldn't get through it myself. I probably couldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, I addressed it. It's just a level, it's a level of education, but, you know, I was never exposed to it. I addressed that uh, the dinner. Our, I was a speaker at their dinner. That's right. That's right. You came out and did their annual gala. That's right. That's and the right. students the asked me. Hard, yeah. The students asked me hard questions. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. It they, was great. They were very. They were very able. And it still is great. It's a great school. It shows you what a strong board can do. They have a strong board. Okay. Oh, that's another thing. Oh, you want something? There's another thing. Go ahead. My favorite headline from 1967. Okay is the San Francisco Chronicle, January 29th. I remember that. Kurt, 
Kerr out, Reagan wins. Reagan had just become governor of California, and he sought the firing of Clark Kerr, who was the head of the UC Regents. Yeah. Because Clark Kerr was being progressive and weird and awful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing. Governors need to take these boards of regents really seriously. Reagan taught them how, and no one really ever did it. You know, they give them they give them away as sinecures and payoffs and yeah, stuff know, like that. I know. This is a serious job, and I think a governor like, for example, Carrie Lake, would be a really good example of. I, I, I think she she sees this. I happen to know she sees this. That's great. Governors needed that. That's what you do there at the schools, at the elementary, secondary. You do the school board votes. You know, people said, my gosh, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I'd say, you know, run for the school board, which I was saying, as you pointed out, 20, yeah. 30 years, yeah. 40 years ago, people would laugh, right. and now they're taking it yeah. very seriously. Yeah. And, and Merrick Garland is keeping their names, apparently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe investigating them, the attorney general. Mm-hmm. But then people say, well, but what kind of schools should we have? Is it just too dull of me to say, well, you don't need me to invent that. They exist. Great Hearts Academy. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Casey Carter wrote a whole book on on, on great schools. Uh, you've written the conditions of what creates a great school. Remember your Thomas Jefferson School when you were Secretary Thomas of Education, James Madison School, and I wrote a book called a little book called Schools That Work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now yeah. that's so, dated, but dated like it's a hundred years but old. It isn't. But it isn't. Yeah, but That's the names the of the schools, secret. the schools may not be, but 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 there are these great schools out there. So the answer but, the answer is not hard, you know. Um, no, we've done it. Uh, who created that phrase? Was it you or Checker that uh, the uh, the theoretical was proven by the actual? We have we have the actual. And it actually, have. wasn't me or Checker. It was actually um, Emmanuel Mark Kant. Corian. Emmanuel Kant, (laughs) whom you have not had as a guest. (laughs) Anyway, uh, no, Kant was was writing about David Hume. Anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. But But yeah, no, we have to replicate the good. It's not that hard. Yeah, do do this. I remember when I was. About will, not ability. Yeah, when I was drug czar, we went up to, how do you say it, Amish or Amish country? I don't know. Amish. Amish. Yeah, yeah, yeah Claude knows because he's Amish. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> You're talking of his people. Mm-hmm. You are singing the song of his people, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> they clap on the one and the three. Yeah. All right. So I went up with the president, President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, to Amish country. Uh, we were going to talk about drugs because there was a report that uh, the drug traffickers were using that part of uh, Pennsylvania, Amish uh, part, uh, forget the county, Lancaster County, I think, Lancaster. Why do you know so much about this? Are you Amish? Well, no, my family goes to the farmer's market in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, has <laughs> ran out of Amish. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. What's yeah, Lancaster. <laughs> I think we need a Seth and Claude podcast. <laughs> I think I think I'm thinking of what they tell lawyers, right? Don't ask a question of a witness unless you know <laughs> yeah, the answer. Right, 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 yeah, right, right. Watch Woody. Watch, go back and watch Annie Hall, where Woody Allen walks up and down Fifth Avenue asking a couple the secret of their success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're up there, and. Uh, irritating Attorney General um, Richard Thornburg was with us, and he was being, I know my way around here, Mr. Pennsylvania, as governor, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, I shouldn't say, he was a good public servant, I guess, but he, I just, he, he irritated me because every time we sent over a, a good, uh, you know, story about drugs, he'd say, don't mess up the case. You know, yeah. we, we wanted to, I, I wanted to work with the DEA and break down the doors and, Right. No, he, I get he it. Wanted to build a case anyway. Yeah, he wanted to go nicely over there. Nicely over there. Yeah. So we were there anyway. But this is the, my point about the schools and, and and just make it simple. You know, you you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, the president was sitting there with the elder. Is that what you call him, Claude? The elders. 
I'm familiar with the area and farmers market, not the okay, religious right. so, uh, hierarchy. If we're not, if we're not talking about <laughs> lettuce and melons right. and stuff. Okay. And poultry, yeah. All right. Um, and President Bush, sitting around the table, uh, Th- Attorney General Thornburg, myself, I'm drug czar, President of the United States, and this uh, right out of central casting elder, Amish elder. And uh, President Bush talks quite eloquently, actually. He always was in private. That odd thing the media had him, that, that he was totally inarticulate. Um, and he's saying, you know, we have this problem, and you have this problem in your backyard. And I said, what do you suggest we do? And I'll never forget, this guy just <laughs> pulled a Bible out of his pocket and jammed his finger into the <laughs> top of it and said, it's here, it's here, it's here. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, that, that's what I'm thinking here about the schools. Uh, we have examples. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we have examples of a great civilization. We have examples of a great curriculum. We have examples of thriving states, right? We have examples of all sorts of good things. We even, I guess, uh, try uh, every, what, five, ten years to have an example of what maybe the hardest thing to pull off, which is a, a, a great, a truly great university. Uh, now, I, I happen to feel very partial toward Grove City College. Uh, I've been up there a couple of times. We're really impressed with it and the people there. Um, I don't think you can call it a great world-class university, but it's a great college and a great place to send a kid. Um, people talk about Hillsdale the same way. I just don't know Hillsdale as well. Um, though, you know, I understand the regard for it, but uh, they, they, they now have this thing called what the university at Austin. Yeah. And it's an effort to make a great university world-class that is not conservative, but fair. I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this except back to the beginning, which is, you know, well, we, it, we, no, have, I'll, we I'll, have counterexamples. We have counterexamples. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I'll run, I'll run with it a little bit. Right, tie, it, tie it all up for me. Well, okay. Um, I'll give it a shot. Uh, they're outliers, and it's a shame that in a country this large and this wealthy and with as much money as we pour into education, you think of these college endowments that are worth you know a trillion dollars, that you and I can name three colleges, one that was invented a year ago, Texas, that we can only name three that you know you kind of would feel comfortable sending your kid to, maybe. And... Um, and uh, I just had a professor from Grove City on the other day, Paul Kengor. You may want to have him on um, after Mark Krikorian. Don't you, don't you do that. Don't you dare do that again. We had a really good conversation about the point I'm about to make, which is the problem at the elementary and secondary school. Um, I believe that conservatives were asleep at the wheel for 30 to 40 years with this stuff because they didn't care about your advice, which was go to the school boards, run for school boards. That's where the curriculum is decided. So kind of an interesting thing in 2020 when the Black Lives Matter movement put out an education curriculum and one of the planks was the dissolution of the Western notion of the traditional family. And it was really interesting that that would be one of their top top planks of, of education reform. And I knew exactly where that came from, especially when I remembered that BLM was founded by self-proclaimed Marxist, trained Marxists. Chapter two of the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx writes very specifically that the family is the first structure we have to destroy to begin the revolution. And the way we will do that is through public education. Yeah. So I think what has happened, and then you got all these weird, you know, neo-Marxists in the late 60s and early 70s, like Paulo Ferreira, that really took it and ran with it. And I, and you look at what's going on in the teacher ed, ed schools across the country, and uh, that's all they learn. You know, that's all they learn is Marx. They see teaching as a, as a, as a revolutionary project and practice and profession. And, uh, you know, you graduate, I don't know how many, how many high school seniors graduate in this country yeah. a year, four yeah. to five million, and you graduate four or five million college students. Yeah. You're talking about 8 million students graduating for 30 years drenched in this stuff. Yeah. 
and you look around and you say, uh, how do we get here? So you have a couple great parents in every community or you have these great Scottsdale women and say, well, what do we look to for the model? They're few and far between. You're right. But they're there. There's still a few outposts. They're outliers and they're asterisks and they're hard to find on a pie chart. And it's our task to um, revive them and replicate them and make them the new saturation. Point. They may be outliers and they may be few, but the American people are many. And we shall see with what kind of voice they speak. Give me that sentence again from uh, uh, chapter two of, uh, of Marx, as you remember it. As you the remember. family is the in, the family is the institution we must destroy to commence the revolution. Okay. How will we do it through social public education? See, when you started, the family is. You know how it's going to end. It's something I used to say all the time. Huh. Family is the first, best, and original department of health education and welfare. And that's exactly right. And that's what Marxism needs to destroy because it's Karl Marx. Yeah, because right. they're they're, they're wicked, but they're not dumb, right? So destroy yeah, the family. Yeah, I mean, right, not, not, right, right, right. We can go back to an older philosopher, um, which is Aristotle in his first page on the politics, right? These are the two institutions you, you, you create, your, 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 your government and your family. And, you know, it gets into a whole interesting debate about which is prior. Um, but the point is yeah. you need a polity that is safe and secure and decent to allow your family yeah. to thrive and succeed. And Marx went the other way and thought, okay, if that's the case, we'll start with going after the family. Which takes us back to the beginning of this conversation. We shall be as gods, and men don't have to be men, and women don't have to be women, and we can well, fight nature. that's what I was going to say, is that old Aristotle, as smart as he was, not figuring out whether it was the polity or the family that came first. Dummy, he didn't even think anybody would question whether the difference between men and women. Right, right. He right. missed that one completely. <laughs> we can count on our liberals to have thought of that. Thanks, Seth. This was so much fun. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. And if you could leave the Kukorian's phone number with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll and, give you his uh, executive assistant. He gave me his cell phone, but I will give you his. And Paul, and Paul Kangor, too. Thanks. Yeah, at Grove City. Yeah, good, good, good. Kangor, by the way, uh, told me uh, he sent something to John. John asked him for, you know, the, we have these VHSs of, of all the stuff Kangor did with me and Reagan. But he told him, he said, I found another one. Bill and Reagan were out in high school in Virginia. And all these things I just don't remember at all. <laughs> and Reagan says, not only Bill, a tough and smart, strong guy, but he sure knows rock and roll. Bill, who were the first two lead singers of the Drifters? <laughs> you know, it's, it's really hilarious stuff. And I yeah, totally forgot these events. Okay, Seth, thank you. Well, at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the Mino, Plato says, all learning is unlocking that which we used to know. Which we used to know, yeah. And but he didn't, mean 19, really he didn't mean 1980. You know, you and I think that, but think about how freaking long ago 1980 was in some respect. It was like last year. No, it wasn't. No, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Thank exactly. you. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Love you guys. Right. Bye. Bye. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 